Urbi Roy, or better known as Auntie Skates. Thank you for being on Down to Brown. Thank you so much for having me, Lahari. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh, me too. This is something that is not only like personally an interest of mine, but I had uh, quite a few friends actually share your profile and say like, hey, I think she'd be perfect for Down to Brown. I love to challenge a little bit of the traditional things and concepts we've grown up with in Desi culture. And I feel like you are doing that like times 10. And so <laughs> just really excited to be talking to you as well. It's so mutual. I'm super excited too. And if I can take this time to get you motivated to get on a skateboard, then it's a win for me also. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. That's our little challenge. We'll see where we yep. end up by the end of the conversation. Cause I'm terrified of those things. Um, but I would love to understand where Auntie Skates came from. So Auntie Skates came from, well, there's two parts to it. Obviously there's the skateboarding part and I'm a skateboarder. I've been skateboarding for about four years. We could talk about that a little bit later, but I think the part you're asking about is the auntie part. And first of all, I love, love, love being an auntie. Um, I love all my nieces and nephews and they're, you know, just so fun to be around. I, I started to get on Instagram a little bit more in the last couple of years following other South Asian women. Okay. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I made it a point to do that. And what I found was that a lot of these women were talking about the toxic auntie. And every time I saw that, which was often Lahari was wow. I would get immediately triggered and it upset me. It's like a little PTSD moment. I'm like, not the yeah. auntie. No, you know? Totally. Um, yeah, totally. Right. And then, uh, I said, Oh, uh, I'm, I'm an auntie and I can be the change and I can flip the narrative on what we define as the toxic auntie. And I can flip the narrative and be the auntie that builds you up and doesn't tear you down. And not only that, I'm the auntie who, you know, broke the cycle and I was once young, I was once judged by aunties, and now I'm an auntie who freaking skateboards. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's something that, um, man, forget aunties, even just like growing up, like I didn't hear of like my friends skateboarding and like going through that culture, right? Like it's something that we didn't feel so familiar with, I think like in Desi society, but of course it doesn't mean like growing up in the States, like you don't have access and you can't join it, right? So uh, I'm just so appreciative that you said that because that's something that I've been, you know, I mentioned earlier, but like, even as I'm on, you know, like I think as a 31 year old turning 32, I'm reaching auntie stage. I am probably, I am an auntie already to my nieces and nephews. And it, it makes me think about like why auntie has even been like, even when we think at like, never have I ever, there's that episode where we all like resonated with that. Oh yes. The auntie. And that's what we shared with audiences that are watching even who are not South Asian right like about how we consider aunties and it kind of gave me a little sadness too like I see why they did it it's definitely like a relatable experience but it made me sad that that's how our auntie culture is when we should be uplifting each other to your point um and it, what a missed opportunity if we always see it as like people that are like detracting so how to your point about breaking the cycle like that's what I hope that we do but um you know it has to have happened for a reason. So I'm curious why you think, why do you think our auntie culture became the toxic stereotype that we think it is today? I think it's a cyclical thing, right? I mean, 
aunties were once young and aunties were once unmarried and, um, you know, skinny little things. And they were probably told they had to get married and they had to continue to follow the traditions and they, you know, it's, it's cyclical, right? So as there's more of a diaspora and we're breaking out of India, South Asia, uh, I think that we're getting some um, outside influences, right? Yeah. And um, that's the opportunity to kind of break the cycle. You know, just my own experiences with aunties, I also feel like within the diaspora um, that my aunties, people in my community are also breaking the cycle, a lot of them, right? And uh, so I think that's just a wonderful thing I wanted to point out. Um, yeah. We have to make a conscious effort to break the cycle because maybe put ourselves in the position of a young single Indian woman and say, I don't want to be that. I don't want to turn into that judgmental auntie and just do that. Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And as a reminder, the question was around mm -hmm. why we think that the auntie culture, the way that we associate it negatively came to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like my, my personal, like humble theory is that like, I, I try to think about like our our, our past is very much dripped with trauma and messages that unfortunately don't get processed. And so the reason why we talk about interrupting the cycle is that there's a cycle that has been perpetuated and that unfortunately, maybe some of these aunties are people who are usually like bullies, right? They're the ones who are feeling insecure themselves, right? Like, so I wonder what type of trauma they went through, what type of judgment they went through. And unfortunately, sometimes people pick up that pattern of like, now I have to do the same thing to others. It's like a rite of passage to go through that like tough period of judgment. And um, they're probably projecting a lot of their insecurities um, because I know right. just like a lot an influencer the other day posted something about how like aunties themselves might not be like you know, Charlize Theron, but they'll be like, wow, like you look so dark or like you're, you know, you look overweight and the like reaction is like, what about you? You know? So <laughs> I can't help but wonder how much it is production. I think, I think there is a lot of intergenerational trauma that comes with being the auntie, you know, it's, um, mm -hmm. it's just something that continues and it's based on what the older generations grew up with, right? Um, the idea of being fair skinned, the idea of getting married, these are all things that are drilled into people's mm -hmm. heads, right? And you do feel, um, you know, as a Desi women, woman, uh, as a failure often, right? And um, there's always, there's like these, it's, it's like a, it's like a checklist of things, fairness of skin, um, you know, what age you get married? Did you marry a doctor? I mean, it's almost yeah. a checklist of things, right? And, and I think that that maybe people feel like, oh, well, I did all those things and I sacrificed and I did all these things. And um, now I'm going to continue that yeah. trauma onto the next generation. Like, you don't get away with that. I had to do it. You have to do it too. Uh, totally. Which is, I think is a kind of bitter way of looking at it, but isn't that sad? Isn't it is. And that's where I'm like, you know, uh, I think you and I agree with like less than making fun of it. I think it's like sort of like why calling people in to say mm -hmm. like, there's probably a reason why there's hurt here. Um, and like a point further of like, in addition to like people projecting what they've been through, I also wonder, you know, if you suddenly are an auntie who has been perpetuating and like repeating what has been done to you in current day, 
if you have to admit that like, maybe that's wrong, then you have to rethink your whole life. And maybe that introduces a whole like existential crisis of being angry at your own life path and the choices that you've made, the choices that maybe other people influenced for you. And so I think it's, um, I think like the, when I look at this auntie culture, I actually want to approach it with compassion and less anger towards the past and more about, you know, how do we now take ownership of our story as aunties and maybe shift that narrative um, right. so that auntie becomes cool to be, right? I think, uh, you know, uh, to, to further your point, I think there might be a little bit of envy also, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when, an, when an auntie sees a young South Asian woman out there living their best lives, there is envy because they yes. didn't get to do those things. And again, another reason to feel sad for that person. Um, totally. You know, the fact that I skateboard in a sari, uh, most people find it exciting, but some people are like, no, you shouldn't do that. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why shouldn't I do that? You know, and is it because in your own life, you didn't get to take the chances uh, to do the things that you wanted to do to follow mm-hmm. your heart and passions? I think that has a lot to do with it, right? Um, just to further your point. Oh my gosh. No, I completely, I I appreciate that because I think envy too, we tend to see as like this, like Regina George petty, like mean girls type of envy. But I think envy is a very real thing that people it's, and it's not even like the, again, like how we come to associate envy. I, I think it's like probably that insecurity to your point about like, well, I, I don't know this. I didn't get to do this. Like I have an aunt who I felt unfortunately like kind of that's why we didn't end up clicking towards you know like recent part of years and I felt like very judged um and I was very hurt because I actually felt like but you also were here for so long you know what type of woman I was becoming she said you're a little too American for me maybe your values and so I I, you know and again I have no hard feelings I feel like I I am so grateful for the role she played in my life for the time she did Um, but it didn't feel healthy continuing if that's how I was going to be judged, um, every time and held to the standard of what her and my mom's generation probably had to do, um, and to be kind of acceptable women and women that were, um, good in the family considered like good. And so I don't know, it's unfortunate, but like, I also don't want to be angry about it because again, she's a product of what she's grown up with and what people have expected from her. And so I feel actually more sympathetic of, gosh, that must've been really tough. I, I agree. And even more so, I think it's tough when you are in the diaspora, right? So let's say I'll, I'm going to take my mom and mom, my mom is an example. So she moved um, from India to the US in the 60s, right? And, you know, she, her and my father um, had a lot of culture shock coming to mm. the US in the 60s coming from India. I and imagine. I, you, you know, and I think that they actually kind of doubled down on their old school values, because they wanted to preserve that, right, you have to make a conscious effort to preserve that you're not just surrounded by it, right. Yeah. And um, so they, pro- I think what happened was they doubled down on their on their old, old world values, especially when it comes to having a daughter, um, versus my brother, right? And luckily, fortunately, as you know, as my parents continue to live in the American culture, they loosened up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
all right, my bad. <laughs> sorry, sorry I didn't let you ride a bike and I let your brother ride a bike. My mistake. Right. You know, they're not going to double down on a double down. They're going to be like, oops. And I think, you know, yeah. I have to give them a lot of credit for being able to do that um, and realizing that just because I've become more American uh, doesn't make me less of a, you know, uh, I would say less... Um, or make them less proud of me, right? Totally. Um, you know, and I think that there's an adjustment that a lot of first generation South Asian immigrants have to make. Unfortunately, some of them can't make it. Yeah. Thank God my thank God my parents were too. I, yeah, for real. Like, I mean, I think that's a really great example of our parents are on their own journey and they're humans. They make a lot of mistakes. And to your point about moving to a country not knowing what the fuck is going on. Like, I mean, I think that is such a real reason to hang on to the only thing you do know. And I think that's a large part of a lot of these, like even forget immigration experience. Like when you look at those, sometimes like I joke with my sister, like being the older sibling versus younger sibling where your parents see like, oh my gosh, like my first child, they're really strict. And then by the second person, they're like, well, we've seen it. It's okay. So I think like, if you're coming to a country where you don't know anything and it's so radically different, you people's human nature is to hold on to the thing that they know because it's safe. Like it, not everyone also has the privilege and luxury of challenging everything. Like maybe our generations do where we have a little bit more, um, we're assimilated more into the culture. We have more space and comfort to do exploration. We know the more exposure. Yeah. yeah. Versus mm -hmm. our parents who didn't. So, you know, I think like, again, coming or maybe like, I'm just feeling really compassionate Friday today, but like, <laughs> I was like feeling very like, you know, I know. sympathetic for our parents too, because let's go hug our aunties. Let's <laughs> mom and dad, like, you know, but I completely can see how your parents feel like even for example, when I turned 25, my parents were like, I came to Hyderabad. They live in India now. Um, and I, they were like, you have to get married. Yes. Married, <laughs> married, married. They like, signed me up without me knowing for a Telugu marriage bureau. And so fight the argument over that. Yeah. Now Shiva, like my sister is 25 and she was like, Hey, do you guys want to like help me out? Like meet someone. So she's actually like, please help me like subscribe to this, like parents could introduce and they were like no you've got time <laughs> your career. there's no rush you'll find someone and I was like I love that for you I don't love that this had to be different for you versus me but if there is something positive I can say legacy wise maybe I can just credit this to myself <laughs> you you had to you had to break them in that's what happened you basically had to break them in I I have a similar story as we all do um but one one funny aside is that when I was about 25, that's the age, it appears, um, my parents were suddenly like, hey, you have to get married yeah. immediately, like right now. And Where I was, is it? Yeah, like what's happening? I was like, I'm, I'm building my career. I thought I was doing that. And, um, you know, because before that, it was like, don't have boyfriends. And then suddenly it's like, get married. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they, I was, I went to Calcutta where my family's from and, um, my, my mom had at my mom and dad had asked uh, my cousin to to find a astrologer to find out when I was going to get married. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my dad, the scientist decided that he wanted to get, you know, he was they were desperate. And uh, the astrologer said he said she's not ready to get married. She's working on her career. If she gets married now, the marriage will be a failure. 
just let her let her work on her career and establish herself. And then when she gets married, it'll be a happy marriage. And did I bribe him with a carton of American cigarettes? Yes, I absolutely did. Oh my God, this is amazing. I was like, how did this person know? Yeah, I, I bribed him, obviously. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> but, but sorry, sorry, Ma. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, the flip side of that is uh, that is exactly what happened. I found um, my, I told my parents when I was 30, I was like, all right, y'all, I'm ready to get married. I feel accomplished professionally. The next month I met my husband. Yeah. That's yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, mean, I, I think, yeah. Yeah. Like the chip went off my shoulder and I was like, okay, world, I'm ready. Yeah. And uh, this uh, skateboarding dude oh, rolled in. <laughs> oh my gosh. What soulmates. Um, I think that says a lot about intention and we know ourselves, which is also different probably for our parents' generation to grapple with, like, we want to control that narrative versus like they're used to the other way. Right. Like, and again, no harm, but I think that's amazing. Even whether it involved bribery or not, (laughs) you clearly knew what your path was. So I think that's incredibly impressive. How did you like, um, I know it's sometimes like in retrospect, we can tell these stories and, you know, feel like, yes, I like knew the right call, but how did you feel confident, especially for those of us who might not feel fully confident yet to like assert ourselves with our parents or be like, what if I'm making the wrong call? Cause easily, if you don't listen to your parents, do your own thing. And then let's say you fail, whatever that mm-hmm. is, like, mm-hmm. then you feel like, oh shit, you know, like. I was wrong. My parents were right. People can, you know, give a reason to criticize you. So how did you find that courage? And like, what are the practical things that you told yourself did to make sure that you felt confident in your path and that you were able to move forward in it? Well, I think the first thing I did was I listened to my parents and I did a computer science degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that compromise. that helps. Yeah. Compromise. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine. And I, you know, and I found a job and that gave me a lot of confidence. So I was working on Wall Street and um, they were so proud of me, my God. Um, I was so unhappy and they saw that. And I called my dad up one day. Uh, I went downstairs and I called him up and I said, I can't do this. This is not the life for me. I'm sorry, I have to quit. And he was like, I. I support you 100%. I was like, what, what? And I think they surprised me. Did you want to tell me this before? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think because I did the computer science thing, right? My mom had said, if you go to computer science and you get a job and you have that as to back you up, I'll leave you alone. And uh, she, she did, (laughs) they did. And I think that that kind of helped. I think getting, they are right. Getting a good education having something solid, uh, that is the South Asian way. Right. Um, but once you've done that, um, they didn't, they didn't want to put all that pressure on me at the cost of me being miserable. I would call them crying. Um, I was in a group of 20 men. It was me and 20 men. And some of those guys like don't know how to speak to women, you know, like they're living in their parents' basement and they have yeah. issues talking to women, right? Like there was a lot of sexual harassment problems and it was yeah. a, just a very toxic environment. Uh, just so that they could say their daughter works on Wall Street, they're going to make me stay in that kind of world. So they, they let it go. And I think that really helped is because I was making a shit ton of money. 
Yeah. And they were like, okay, <laughs> you do what you want. Right. I'm going to, you are clearly, you clearly know what you're doing and I'm going to back up and let you do what you want. So I think that helped. It empowered me um, to yeah. say, this is not my path. So I would say that. And also just some practical advice. Uh, I kind of tested the waters here and there before then. Like, I'll just give you an example. I remember I was 25 and living at home. And I told my mom, I was like, mom, uh, uh, just let you know, I'm going to Las Vegas with my friend. And she was like, no, you're not. And I said, and I practiced this in the mirror beforehand. I said, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Oh, wow. Damn girl. <laughs> no. And she was like, damn, that was pretty good. <laughs> she, was, she was so impressed. She was like, all right, put 10 down on black for me. <laughs> I, I think that they really made, um, uh, they made such an effort to change the way they treated me um, from a child to an adult. Um, as long as I got married and had kids and had the job, but they did, right. they did do that. So I think that's, that's it. You have to kind of test your boundaries. And then at some point you have to take a stand. Oh, and I probably. think, you know, I think um, another step is that, or another reason is because Listen, they came here as immigrants with what hundred dollars in their pocket, uh, mm -hmm. and they had they didn't have their parents to turn to. They were sending money, right? Um, we're we're a little bit protected as second generation. Um, there was a period of time where I was freelancing in New York after I quit Wall Street, and I was like, oh yeah. crap, I still got to pay rent on this one bedroom. Uh, I was freelancing a lot, and I ran out of cash, and I was like going through my very expensive couch looking for coins. Um, but I had my parents to get money from if I needed, right? Yeah. They did not have that. They had to go to work. They had to make it work. They had to build themselves up, you know, most likely from nothing. Oh, totally. And there was no going back. Right. I mean, and I think that's a lot of, just imagine that, right. Just imagine that kind of pressure that you don't have that kind of support from your family and you have to put food on the table. No one else is going to do it. Right. Um, and so that's the, that's where they're coming from when they want to make sure you don't, not just like, don't mess this up. I sacrificed yeah, a lot. It's not totally. just, it's not just that it's also like, we just want to make sure you're okay because we don't want you to go through the same thing that we went through because it mm -hmm. was hard. So, yeah. I mean, it's literally like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like they need to make sure that they're doing that for not only themselves, but for a family, sometimes on one salary. Like mm -hmm. I am still shocked to this day that my dad found success as a sole breadwinner in California, Bay Area, like, you know, like for the time that he did. Um, yeah. But we could easily be like, oh, but like you left to India, like my sister and I, but you know, I'm starting to sympathize now, like how that must have felt. And to your point, like, I think a lot of the times if you strip away all the like, jokes and all of these like stereotypes about our parents, auntie culture. It's just a really deep rooted fear and insecurity that is like such a human thing. Um, just the fear of like not being able to make it, um, and being accountable to a whole family. Like, um, it's, it's just a different way. I think of understanding if you can flip the script on like how we look back at that culture, because that's even something like, you know, going back to our kind of like uh, inception of our conversation with Auntie Skates, mm -hmm. I wonder sometimes how much of the auntie culture that we have come to lament is really actually just a product of the patriarchy and like how much like the patriarchy has had women turn against themselves um, 
in our Desi society. So my theory is a little bit, and humor me here, is like in like abusive dynamics, you turn the person against their family and the people that they know so that they feel like the only person they can count on is that person. So I sort of feel like sometimes the way that we've treated like auntie culture and like female culture in Desi society is a little abusive in that we turn against each other as women. Um, the mother-in-law figure, the daughter-in-law figure, that's like a trope. You have the auntie figure, you have like competing cousins being compared to each other all the time. Those are examples. And so ultimately I feel like the man gets to be in power still because the women themselves aren't united. So I I'd love to hear, like, are you, does that resonate at all? Like, do you have any thoughts, like, especially having, you know, gone through your own journey to kind of break up that? Well, I think um, I'm going to blame it on British colonialism. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, uh, my father and I, sorry, I didn't mean for you to spit your water out. Oh, no, I was like snapping. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think a lot, we forget that so much of our life is attributed yeah. to that, that period. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so my father, um, uh, he, he passed away in the last year, but uh, we would talk okay, often thank you very much. Uh, we would talk about this often is that he felt that when um, the British were in India, um, the culture was that the Indian person could never have the top spot, right? Um, so they would have to fight over the bottom spots. Um, and there was very limited number of spots available for the number of Indian people, right? So I think there was that culture there um, of people fighting for, uh, you know, the glory, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, with South, South Asian women, I find that that happens that um, oftentimes, and it's changing, um, but growing up for me, I found that South Asian women didn't really support each other. And I think yeah. it was because of that colonial kind of mentality that that's, I feel is uh, starting to fade, right? Um, and then to, to, that, to that point further, I think the culture itself is, Man, I mean, that goes even further back. If you think about the concept of the daughter-in-law, you leaves their, their family and goes into the um, husband's family, right? Leaves the village, leaves the people they always knew and comes into the husband's family and kind of says goodbye to, to their own family, right? So I think that goes even way, way back, right? Yeah, um, you culturally, remove completely the support structure. So completely that person gone. has to lose the sense of themselves. Right. And there's, and not having that support and probably being quite young. Right. Um, and then having to be in, listen, my mom, she spends time here a lot. I built her a kitchen downstairs in the basement. We're not sharing a kitchen. Okay. Like imagine two women sharing a kitchen. <laughs> It's nope. dangerous. Yeah. I tell you, dangerous. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> so, but imagine how to go. Sorry. No, no, I, I'm just laughing yeah. because it's so true. Like, it's so I'm true. So like, you know, like I, I don't have kids yet. So I'm kind of like, I used to come to my mom when she visits. I'm like, okay, it's yeah. your kitchen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But See? I have to give yeah. that up. Like, I'm like, it's no longer my kitchen, but when I have kids, I'm sure we will conflict a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Just build a new kitchen. That's the yeah. solution. Apparently. <laughs> And my, it's a computer science degree. Thank you for that. I had the money for the new kitchen. I'm just oh, yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, that was a joke. Anyway, so um, I think that, you know, imagine going into your mother-in-law's house, somebody you probably don't even yeah. know, and then having to live by their rules. And then the mother-in-law is like, oh yeah, it's my turn now. Like I've been the daughter-in-law, now it's my turn. So I think yeah. it's like, 
it's um you know it's like that same concept uh of the the british colonial thing where you know there's so many people fighting for secondary power and you kind of take it out on each other because you can't take it out on the person who's really to blame that is such a i'm so glad that you brought that up because yeah. that's such a valid point and i think like a way that I've been trying to understand it sometimes in a way, because I, I might not always understand the dynamics in Indian society directly, not living there. And, um, but an analogy I sometimes use is kind of the way that studying the history of black people in America also to me, it's not because I would say our struggles are in any way the same, but when we talk about how like our, because of the white man being in power, a lot of black society had to turn amongst themselves. So the women become secondary role, like tertiary roles to help elevate the men because white men have emasculated black men. And um, of course, this is a much more complex topic. I'm really boiling it down. And I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, like put it together. And I think a large part, because I sensed in Desi society, a little bit of resistance to really blame the the British rule, like, I, I feel like even now when I talk to my parents about it, my dad is typically like, I don't want to think about it that way. That was in the past. Like they kind of don't want to grasp, like accept that reality that maybe like today society is maybe a little bit like tweaked and skewed in as a result of that. So to your point, of course, like if you're trying to make room for South Asian men to feel like in a secondary, at least to the British man and like the white man and we're, we're worshiping that as superior and our own men don't serve that mm -hmm. to your point of course like then the women get pushed down so below we're here as support characters to just continue reinforcing that for our own survival right mm -hmm. like because a lot of the times like when I hear these stories about like you know unfortunately like poverty stricken areas in India like a lot of the dynamics can be like where men are drinking or like you know the woman is working multiple houses like we've had quite a few people helping in our house where those are the backstories and they're, they're mm. very tragic but I can see how like that man themselves like probably feel so emasculated in that society that they like take it out on the women which is terrible but it has become a trickle-down effect that I don't know I, I feel like sometimes I'm struggling to see that type of like analysis on our society mm. the way that we're able to do in America to better understand like why are things the way that they are today, if that makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that, um, you know, if we think about our, our parents who came over, yeah, sure. Are there a lot of South Asians that are CEOs of big companies now? Heck yeah, there are. Mm -hmm. But have it, has it always been like that? No, I think that a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of these immigrants, they came over and um, they were also emasculated. They didn't get the top roles. And yeah. um, I think that was a bit of a struggle. So maybe they perpetuated that, you know, that, you know, kind of, putting down the woman role and it, it continued on. And then the women kind of, you know, fight amongst themselves and the toxic auntie culture continues. I mean, it's like, oh my God, are we opening like a huge door into like a big oh, door? Yeah. But I'm so yeah. glad that we yeah, yeah. on it because like, yeah. it's, it's so much, I think it informs why. And again, that's yeah. why when we like joke about aunties and just like oh they're so judgmental and like uh there's like a really big like we don't ever peel it back to see like why and like you know I don't want to just keep making fun of them because it also perpetuates them um you're making a joke about a trope and by doing that you continue to give it importance and I feel like how what it what if we shifted the conversation because yeah. 
some of the same jokes too. Like, of course they served a purpose in connecting with each other, especially like when I think about early two thousands, um, maybe that, that is just standing out to me because it was kind of like my high school, college years. And like, I feel like it was helpful to feel like, oh, we have these jokes that we share and these experiences that we have as like South Asian Americans. So it was just a novelty to even be like, oh yeah, like aunties do make fun of my pimples. Like, you know, like, like, I'm not alone. Um, Yes. It is a good way to connect. It is a good way. I agree. I agree. Yeah. There's a, and I I wanted to say another thing, sorry, maybe this is also going down another path. um, That's, that's another podcast, but um, you know, in, uh, in mainstream, uh, you know, media in the U S I was reading some statistics. I think it's uh, on crown the Brown uh, Mm -hmm. Instagram is uh, they said 2.3% of uh, Americans are South Asian, but only 0.2% of South Asian women are represented in mainstream media. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I think that there's just not enough roles for us out there. Um, you know, but I think the people that are getting the power, uh, they're trying to support and lift up other South Asian women. And I think that that's fantastic. Um, so I, I do think that it's changing. I, I agree. And I think we are continuing to see that a little bit more. And like, every time we get a new show or a new actor that you're like, oh, thank God, it's not just Mindy Kaling or Pam yeah. Chopra. Not because, you know, like there, there's anything wrong with that, but because one person cannot carry the like right. token and um, you start to see more complex stories. Like I appreciate like seeing different dimensions of they see characters because we're not all one. Um, yeah. We're not all Uber drivers. Right. Oh my gosh. And like, that's why sometimes the responsibility I feel like media has, and like, if you're going to put all that money, like you might as well just tell a story that people haven't seen before, because it could be the one time that that person sees it. To see us like a person like you, in Instagram, it's amazing because you can see like, okay, there's like a type of Indian woman who does this or like a, you know, like a different kind of auntie. So when, I mean, I'm like, at some point, did you feel like this was something conscious that you did where you were like, I want to be like the auntie who skates? Like, how did this happen? Like where you started to get into skating and you like started to like, it clearly did a lot for your relationship as a Brown woman with yourself. Well, I, you know, my husband has been a skateboarder for a long time. And uh, before we had kids, I'd watch him skate uh, with envy because it looks super fun. Uh, but I was like, eh, I'm too old. It's not for me. I won't be yeah. very good at it, right? Then my kids started skateboarding and I was like, oh, damn, I am not gonna be the mom that stands there watching my whole family have fun. Nope, not gonna be me, you know? And then I got on a skateboard and I said, and, and, and that, happened very often to South Asian women in the previous generation, right? Um, Not my mom, because she could uh, beat my brother at tennis. But anyway, um, I did not want to be that mom. So I started skateboarding, right? And I started to just share my journey and my family's journey um, on a family account. Then it was in February of 2021. um, We were having a lockdown in Canada and February is a very dark time for us here. There's no sun. It's like literally dark, um, depressing. And I just wanted to spread some joy and positivity. And I just put a fun spin on it, right? Um, by doing Auntie Skates. Uh, because of all those Instagram reels I was following, people who were still triggered by Auntie, 
Um, and plus, uh, you know, that accent that I, I was using an accent in the beginning, although I stopped, uh, that accent is my family's accent. And it's, it was just one way for me to yell at my kids. So it was like all these things kind of mashed together and yeah. created this TikTok account. Um, and then the account, Lahari, went, uh, I, it went viral almost immediately. And um, I had, in under four months, I had over 100,000 followers on TikTok, which just blew me away. Um, I, it's not something I would have been able to find. I would, there's no space for me to do that in mainstream media. Yeah. Um, but for me to find that kind of following, um, it, it just, it just took off, I guess. I think I, I mean, I, I say this with, uh, with my heart full, I think I inspire people and, um, and that makes me feel really, really good. So, um, you know, inspirational content, it, it, people, the, maybe the world needed it, right? The timing yeah. was right. I, you know, there are so many things that stand out about what you said, um, in addition to just you addressing this need that you saw and it, the intention of starting it sounds like you just wanted to spark a little joy, you know, in a world that like didn't feel yep. super joyful at that moment. Yep. Um, and the fact that you, the way you said that, like, you know, I see this with my heart full, I inspire people. I really appreciate that because we have a tendency to stay very humble about these things. And I'm not saying you sound the opposite of that. I think it's, there is a humility in like acknowledging, like I say this with my heart full, like I, I can hear the gratitude. Um, but also it's important for us to assume that role of like, if I am inspiring people, I think then it allows us to own more of that, like the accountability you have to those people, the fact that you, you are serving you you have a platform now, right? You have a huge platform now. And I agree the beauty of TikTok and Instagram and all these is that you can kind of create content that people won't give you dollars for maybe on Netflix even, or, um, I wouldn't mind some dollars though. <laughs> <laughs> my husband, my husband's like, my husband's like, so when are you going to make some money? No, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure like I inspire people yeah yeah yeah, yeah more yeah. valuable <laughs> it's like not paying the mortgage but yeah <laughs> hey, right but puts a man my, <laughs> my god that's so funny but I I agree I think that um uh I I like the way that you said it uh you know, we, we are often, if, if somebody says great job, oh, oh no, it wasn't me. You know, I, I think you should just own it and say, thank you. It's very, it's very easy to just say thank you. And for me um, to take it a step further, I, I mean, so many people were telling me that they were inspired by me. I did some, some people in my life almost had to give me permission to own it. Mm -hmm. I have to admit. Uh, my friends, my family, they're like, own that, you know, they are inspired by you. You're allowed to be an inspiration and not feel bad about it. So I did have to have that. Um, but listen, I get, um, I get people uh, all over the world telling me that they started skateboarding because of me. But I also get people saying, I went back to school because of you. I told my parents I didn't want to become an engineer and I want to go into music because of you. Um, you know, my daughter, she dresses up in a lenga and gets on a sari, gets on a skateboard because of you. Um, you know, that's cool. <laughs> that yeah. is really cool. And um, I wanted to step back one moment and tell you a story 
the the kind of the dark side of why I started my TikTok account. Uh, and I, I, I don't think I've ever publicly shared this story before. Um, so in March of 2020, um, when the uh, COVID pandemic was starting, I, um, you know, we were all in a panic, right? And um, the local hospital uh, called upon the community to make masks. And I had a large uh, supply of fabric from a previous business and I donated it to some organizations nearby. I donated so much fabric that my name is on a plaque at the hospital now. Okay. Wow. So it's like a lot of fabric. Yeah. Anyway, uh, some, some local um, filmmakers uh, decided they wanted to do a short film about the fabric. Um, you know, getting the fabric, uh, cutting the fabric, uh, making masks with the fabric, and then the fabric donation. And um, they cut me out of the video completely. Why I was not. Uh, well, when I asked them about it, they said, oh my God, uh, we, we cut you out of the hero role. Oops. And they did it with unconscious bias. They replaced me but we put you, we put your daughter at the end. Like they, they took me as this was all my fabric, right. From the beginning to the end, yeah. it was all my stuff, but they had us be, instead of the person who gave the fabric, they replaced me with, they rewrote the story, right. With people that looked like them rather than the person who actually did it. And they had people that looked like us be the recipient of it. Okay. And when she used, when they, sorry, when they used the word um, uh, hero, I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, all right, I, I am the hero in the story, and somebody took that away from me, and that's never going to happen again, yeah. and so then creating, uh, being able to have the internet, which is open and free, to be able to go on the internet and tell my story, and, and in, a, in a very fun, positive way, uh, I get to be the hero, and I held an event, a skateboarding event, um, you know, in October, over 80 people came to this event, and um, they said, you're my hero. And it was such a full circle moment for me. Like I, I wasn't expecting to be anybody's hero, but as soon as somebody took that away from me, I was like, oh no, 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 no. So that's the B side of yeah. why I started my TikTok account. So that's the first time I've publicly shared that. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm honored. Um, thank you so much, because I think that's such an important Oh gosh. I'm like processing what you're saying because right? like the hero role gets to your point. Like it, it's, I've seen it been taken away from like my parents' generation and they haven't said anything about it. Um, in fact, they've sort of found a rationalization around it. And I am so also impressed with the fact that you not only went, when you went through that, you were able to find a, a way to redeem that so that you got the hero credit that you deserve. And again, it's not because of like, you know, we need to have that credit or like people associate that with like, why do you need that validation? Or like, just do it humbly. And absolutely not. Like, because you are able to assume that hero role, you are empowering other people. You're inspiring other people. And when we inspire, it's not to say because we're perfect, um, but because there is a component of something that you're doing that really resonates with a lot of people, because we're still in the process of giving ourselves permission because we don't see any of these examples. You're right. By just seeing you on Asari skateboarding, People might just be like, wow, I've never seen that, but why haven't I? This is right. like, not like rocket science. Like right. this is something that I could do too. Like right. It, it representation just, matters. Representation yes. matters. Totally. 100 percent 
And if I'm going to be the one representing 46 year old women skateboarding and a sorry, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry that happened to you though. And you're right. Like, that's why it's not enough to just have like, okay, we have an actor, you know, like when you look at the industry and like, even just representation in general, like you literally need people to like, it's so ingrained the unconscious bias that you spoke of. It's not as easy as having a token person in the room who is, you know, representing an experience because you're also assuming that person can call out those unconscious biases. You're assuming the environment is conducive for that type of discussion. Yeah. And that we know it, I, the unconscious bias was my own too. I, I, I would have in any other time, I would have probably just let it go. Yeah. You know, totally. Uh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking such a painful experience. Like I, I would, mm-hmm. I, I'm so hurt by what you said, like mm-hmm. that, like that is the situation you found yourself in after doing such a noble selfless thing. Um, especially because that is the narrative we continue to see is like mm-hmm. always, I'm so sensitive to even commercials where you're like, how come the white person's teaching the black person again? Like <laughs> I, I really always like, you know, those yeah. commercials about insurance or like simple things like that, they really make a difference because you start to see that dynamic continuously. You always assume the person of color is the one who needs help. The one who it doesn't know. And they're being taught by the white savior. And like, I think people might think I'm being overdramatic, but I, I, well, it just, it happened in this case. I mean, that that you have the example now you can back it up. Right. Right. Um, and I think it is, uh, it's an important thing to, um, you know, realize, uh, but I didn't want to be the victim, right? Um, I let it go. I talked to the person. They realized that it was an, we realized it was unconscious bias. I can't fault them for it. Uh, They were willing to open their ears and hear what I was saying, but do I become the victim about it? Or do I, again, flip the script? Yeah. And I think that's a responsibility then I have as being an auntie, you know, uh, is that again, it's flipping the script and changing the narrative and, um, um, opening or paving the way for other people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're talking about two arenas I'm noticing, and I'm so glad we are because you've touched on challenging that norm within our own community of South Asians. And then also you're talking about challenging that notion within American society. Um, and so, when I think like, as you continue, right? Like, you're not just like, probably like, okay, my hat's like hung. I'm auntie skates. I'm done. (laughs) I feel like you're someone who's going to continue challenging and pushing our, you know, like our minds. Um, what is your dream for, you know, how auntie skates like resonates within the South Asian community? And what do you hope like we can change about even like Desi auntie culture in American society and how they regard us? Well, within the community, I want us to um, to support each other, right? I think that it's really important for, I'm going to just specifically say for South Asian women to support each other. Uh, when your email came in uh, to do a podcast, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do it because I want to support uh, a South Asian woman. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even look, I didn't even look at what it was yet. And I was like, oh yeah, hello. And then I read about you. (laughs) I was like, yeah, weeks writing that email. (laughs) I didn't read it. I saw your name. I was like, yep. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I read it, but I was like, I was very excited to be supportive. I think that, um, now I forgot what I was saying. 
Oh no. I mean, I, first of all, I really appreciate it because <laughs> is that an example of uplifting brown women? But yeah, I think about like yeah. uplifting brown women as yeah. kind of the change you want to see with auntie culture. Right, right. And I want to continue to do that. And, and the other thing I want to do, because I think that love and support goes a long way. I personally wouldn't be able to take these huge risks without love and support from my family. Right. And I think that we are a family of, you know, in our culture and that we have to love and support each other and not yeah. judge people for taking, you know, doing a podcast, which is, you know, a bit off the beaten path or, you know, being a skateboarder, which is also off the beaten path that we just, um, you know, embrace each other and support each other. So that's something that I would like to continue to push forward. Um, and then, you know, if I could get, um, more, more brown people skateboarding. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that too. Um, because I think, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I, I lost my dad uh, eight months ago and um, skateboarding has helped me so much get through that, that loss. Um, it's really good for mental health. And um, there's a lot of stigma around mental health in the South Asian community. Mm-hmm. And um, we often don't take care, care of each other or there's some shame around mental health. So I'd like to kind of change that story a bit. Um, but ultimately, you know, I don't mean to sound a little greedy, but I just love skateboarding and, um, I want to do that as much as possible. And if I can get paid somehow, <laughs> yeah, you know, and that would be for cool. what you love is such an important thing. It doesn't make it, yeah. you know, like selfish or capitalization. Like, you know, like it's, it's, that's the dream. That's the dream, have. right? Yeah. I mean, and, um, I'm just excited. You know, I'm so excited that I can, that I've carved out a path for myself where I could inspire people to go out there and live their best lives. It doesn't matter. You know, I will say this, um, there's a lot of pressure on us as South Asians, um, you know, to go to medical school or marry a doctor or everything, you know, um, go to Ivy leagues. Um, there's a lot of pressure for us to do that. Right. And a lot of people on my TikTok feed say, my mom won't let me skateboard. My mom won't let me do that. And, you know, we often tell people life is short, go out and do whatever you want to do, but life is also long, hopefully. Right. If you're being restricted from doing things because of your parents or because of pressure, that will not always be there. Okay. Just trust me on this. It's never too late to go out there and do the thing you wanted to do. When I started skateboarding in my 40s, I literally did not care what anyone thought. Yes, my family was supportive, but if they weren't, meh, you know, like, you know, I'm at a place in my life where I'm just going to do whatever I want and enjoy myself. So I'm telling everybody there, everybody who's listening that if you, if, if something is blocking you now from doing the thing you love, it will not always be there. That's a really wonderful piece of advice to leave us with, because I think one thing I'm noticing with our generations as we're interrupting the cycle is that we're doing these things 10 years or maybe earlier than the previous generation. So like I'm seeing my sisters generation Gen Z, they are much more far along in their journey than I ever was at their age, because again, we're breaking that cycle. Um, hopefully it works. Yeah. By the end of it. And like, so maybe the same thing that you tried in your like late thirties, forties is something that someone's trying in their twenties, thirties, their tens, like they go into it professionally. Like these are the things that we're hoping to see. Right. So like, to your point about it, not being too late too, it's not just for yourself, but for others too, because if we start to even see one 
then sometimes that's just enough for us to be like, yeah. well, fuck it. You know, like you said, yeah. like, it's not just skating. It's like, people have felt like they could quit their jobs because of you. And like, because we just need to see people challenging the norm in general. And we're right. likely to see like a little bit of inspiration and like, maybe I can do this too. Exactly. If a, if a 46 year old woman can skate in a sari in a bowl, then you can do anything. Right. And I have to ask, can I drop the mic? Is that like a mic drop moment? Yeah, yeah that's like, I was like, okay, now you've got I have a mic. I have a mic. <laughs> drop it. I'm not dropping it. It's very expensive. I know. I was going to say like, let's not break that shit. <laughs> I have to ask now, um, as someone who might be curious about skateboarding now, yeah. Um, how does one try? Like, what, what would you recommend for someone who's going to be like, let's try it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew we'd get there. Lovely. That's true uh, confidence. Yeah. <laughs> and you brought it up, not me. Ah. I know. <laughs> well, um, psychology. <laughs> my recommendation is to go to your local skate shop. Mm -hmm. and ask them for a board that would suit you as a beginner. Um, you know, it's not the same skate shop it used to be uh, where there's a toxic culture there. Um, people want your money, so they're going to help you and find a good board for you. Then the next thing I would do is um, take a couple of lessons, okay? So once you have your board and safety gear, um, as recommended by the skate shop, take a couple of lessons because that will help you progress with confidence. Uh, it's just going to make such a world of difference. You only really need one or two lessons, I'd say. Um, and then after that, you can get um, onto, onto the internets and you can find um, local community that you know, there's a lot of them out there, right? Uh, groups of people who are skateboarding, like-minded people. And it's a whole wonderful community that you can um, join. I'm hoping um, to get more events going. Uh, you know, my, my dream would be um, to do them all over Canada, all over the US, Costa Rica, <clears throat> specifically. <laughs> Was that like a shout out yeah. to the city? Like, yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, the country. Yeah, yeah like- so anyone who wants to fund me to do that. Um, no. Uh, so just to get events and get people on a board, um, because it really is such a liberating feeling. And, um, you know, adults forget to play. And this is an opportunity to play. And, uh, oh, it's so fun. It's yeah. So fun. No, you're right. I You're really helping me see like the beauty of like the movement that's involved, the empowerment of like challenging yourself to try something that is, is a little beyond what we've done in the past. And like, um, so, okay. I might report back once. Okay. 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 Listening is also kind of motivated to even just like play around, yes, even if yes. it's a friend skateboard, you know? Yes. Um, lastly, I'd love to ask you like, what are some of the ways that like you have also combated? Cause I know we're talking about the success that happens uh, with being able to do something like this, but I'm sure you also get some negative or constructive comments that come your way. Like how do you usually manage those and also not internalize them enough to like ruin what you're doing? Right. Um, I've, you know what I've, I'm amazed, but most of mostly I would say 99.9% .9 of my feedback has been positive. I re you really can't fault uh, an old lady skateboarding, right? Like who, what kind of person are you going to be to put a hateful comment when you see You'd that, be right? surprised by the trolls, yeah. but we're probably yeah. intimidated by you. <laughs> they are, right? Uh, they're like, damn, I can't do that. But, yeah. you know, I, I have gotten very little hate. I think in all of my 
videos, I think I've gotten two racist comments, which I've immediately deleted. Uh, I don't even pay attention to those. Um, if there's a, you know, I think a lot of people in India specifically, which I was surprised by, they're, they don't find auntie funny. They are still very deeply triggered by that. So I think a lot of people were trying to educate me and say like, I don't think, I think you're missing the point. Auntie's not a good thing. And I, I think that they were so deeply ingrained in that auntie culture. Uh, and that I felt sad about. And I was like, you be the change. I'm trying to be the change. And they're like, you're not yeah. the change. It's not good. You know, we don't like it. Um, so, um, I mean, I'm not going to give up because of that. Uh, I'm just going to keep smiling and yeah. matching my helmet to my sari and looking hot doing it. Right. And like, I'm going to keep being in their faces. Uh, sometimes visually, they just need to see it over and over again to change it, right. To change their minds. Um, and then I think the only other thing, um, that I've had that's I found negative. I'm just thinking, oh, why do you have to bring Indian into it? Why does it matter that you're Indian? And I think that, um, you know, maybe people outside of the South Asian community don't really understand, but I wasn't allowed to have a bike growing up. My brother was. My mom was allowed to have a bike growing up, by the way. I wasn't allowed to have a bike growing up. It matters. It matters to the people in my community, and those are the people I'm doing it for. So a lot of the times I just kind of... I mean, if I if it's a South Asian person, if it's worth answering, I'll answer it. If it's not, meh, I don't really care. I really yeah. don't care. You know, like. No, I like your point yeah. about not engaging with those that you're like, meh, it's like not. And because I think like one thing that I'm really appreciating when sort of frame of thinking is like, I'm not here to serve everyone and I'm here to serve the people that I'm here to serve. And I, I think that's a very actually a great way to focus your effort on like it it reminds me of what you're experiencing because like I, I think the same people who are saying like why does it have to be Indian probably never had to think about why like they're just probably not privy to this whole problem that people of color go through in America mm -hmm. it is really important and, and forget just America just within South Asians if you're getting such a reaction from South Asians who are like you know but auntie's not a good thing mm -hmm. like but why you know yeah, I should I, those two should get together and have yeah. lunch and then we can under they'll answer each other's questions so exactly so <laughs> I think like I'm so glad that hasn't deterred you because like we certainly need it we're yeah, desperate thank you. for that representation thank you that so, means a lot to me that means a lot to me that you said yeah that. I mean why do you yeah. think I fangirled all over you <laughs> in that email that you didn't read I didn't read it <laughs> I'm kidding. You did a <laughs> podcast. That's the best thing I could ask for. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to end with our traditional chip chip round. And so of course it's like your personality is shining through whether or not, you know, like these questions are fun or more like serious, but, um, I have a few fun questions for you if you're ready for it. All right. Ready. Okay. So whatever comes to your mind first, what is the trick that you've done that scared you shitless when you were doing it on the board? Okay, uh, dropping into a nine foot ramp. <sighs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, you survived yeah. clearly, yeah. but um, well, not wow. the first time. Not the first time. <laughs> oh, no. I'm Indian. I have many lives. So. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, many legs, many arms. You yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Started a new one. Um, <laughs> you can only eat one South Asian food for the rest of your life. What is it? Pakora. Yum. Mm. You need to get your dance on. What is the song that always makes you dance? Uh, single ladies. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, of course. Um, 
what kind of auntie do you think the following celebrities are? So I'm going to list a few celebrities and I'd love to know like kind of your superlative for them. Um, like cool, funniest, best smile like that. I think mm-hmm. high school superlatives. Priyanka Chopra. Cool. Okay. Deepika <laughs> Mutiala. Uh, inspirational. Padma Lakshmi. Uh, queen. <laughs> yeah. Lily Singh. <laughs> um, my homie. <laughs> okay. And Mindy Kaling. Um, trailblazer. Love, love. Okay. And all of them are trailblazers though. Yeah, they really yeah. are. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, any brown woman in the industry now like, yeah. is 100%. a trailblazer. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last question is how are you breaking the pressures of American assimilation and the stigmas and expectations of South Asian culture beyond just being auntie skates. What's one thing that you haven't mentioned where you challenge this? Uh, the way I raise my children. Oh, damn, that was a good one. Sorry. That you should drop the mic on. Damn. <laughs>